principles tonight to the book of Joshua, Judges rather, Judges chapter number 6. Before we begin our second message in this series, let me just go back and rehearse a little bit of what we've already said. There might be someone that wasn't here during the first message, and we want to catch you up and give you some idea of what's going on. We've entitled the series Gideon's Gallery because each and every message is a a picture out of the life of Gideon concerning some aspect of his ministry. And last week we talked about Gideon's fearful call. You know, it is a fearful thing whenever God calls us to some specific task because, you know, hopefully we will feel, you know, unable. We'll sense our inability, our need of the Lord and... uh, I thought, surely, if God ever made a mistake when he called me to preach, he He did this time. Because this, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that never would give a book report in school. And the teacher said, well, I'll have no choice but give you a failing grade if you don't give your oral book report. said, you do what you got to do, but I'm not I'm not getting up there in front of the class. And uh, so I, I wrote it out and turned it in. She gave me a D minus. So... Anyway, I made it through with the skin of my teeth, but and and to think that you know God saying, "Well, I'm going to use you." Well, you know Moses felt that way. He felt totally unable. Who am I? I you know, I I'm of a slow tongue. I, I'm not able. I'm not eloquent. I you know we can always think of a lot of reasons why God can't use us, but God doesn't. God doesn't call us because we're able he makes us able because he called us and so uh, we see that in the story of Gideon here and that's why I called the message last week Gideon's fearful call and I made mention of the fact that he was a coward to become a champion and also I mentioned that more space is devoted to Gideon uh, than, than to any of the other judges in the book of Judges uh, which is significant God had a lot to say about him, and for good reason. Uh, Last week I mentioned something I think most people are unaware of, and that's the importance of the book of Judges. We, you know, we think about a little bitty uh, uh, snippet of history uh, in the life of Israel that doesn't cover much time, when in reality it covers about one-third of the history of Israel from the Exodus until the end of the Old Testament. So all during that period, one-third of their history is all compacted down in this one little book. That's somewhere between like 350 years and 410 years, somewhere depending on exactly how you want to divide things up. But it's, it's something like that. And so it's a large portion of their history and it goes all the way from the time of the death of Joshua all of the way up to the time of Samuel. So during that span, God appointed 12 judges who served as leaders to direct and to deliver the nation of Israel. 
and they needed to be delivered because Israel was caught in this vicious cycle that went on year after year after year where, you know, they would sin against God, God would chastise them, they would finally, in desperation, cry out to God in their oppression, and God would raise up one of the judges to deliver them from it. And so they went through that over and over and over again. That's really a great picture of human nature. Uh, remember the song says, Prone to wonder how I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, that's just the way that our old fleshly nature is. And even though we've been saved, we still have the vestiges of that old nature within us. We have a new nature, but we have the remains, as it were, of that old nature that is prone to wonder. So uh, he raised up these 12 judges. Now, remember, these judges did not come by succession as kings do. And neither were they elected, as we might do in a democracy, but rather these were people that God Himself chose for the occasion. And uh, as, as, as somebody said, that they were emergency-type people. In other words, they were rescuers. God sent them for a specific purpose to deliver them from the oppression that they were under as a result of their sin. Now... Last week, I said the features of Gideon's call. We talked about seven things, and I'm going to just mention those very briefly, the seven features of his call, and it'll help us to understand what's going on. Number one, it came during a time of national oppression. They were, they were being uh, uh, oppressed by the Midianites and their allies. These were... A, a roving band of rebels, or whatever you want to call them, and uh, they they would just go through the country taking whatever they want from whoever they wanted, and especially at harvest time. You know, you know the Israelites would they'd plant all of their crops, and about harvest time when they you know thought they'd going to have food to eat, here would come the Midianites and their allies and strip them of all of their goods, and so this is a national crisis that they're in. Secondly, it came after the ministry of an unnamed prophet. Some felt that we, you know, we have no idea who this guy was, but he came on the scene. And, and very briefly explained to the nation why this was happening. In other words, that it was God dealing with them as a result of their sin. And I made mention of the fact, you know, down through, the, uh, down through history, there are a lot of people that get no recognition, people whose names will, will never be remembered, and yet their contribution to the kingdom of God is, is amazing. We'll know about it in eternity, but we don't know anything about it right now. And so here's an unnamed prophet that steps on the stage of history and does a, a brief ministry that God gives him, walks off, never hear from him anymore, and uh, God used that man to set the stage. And then we find that it came at an unexpected time because seven years had passed Gideon is actually hiding in fear. Uh, and, and so, you know, he's scared to death like everybody else. He's hiding in the threshing floor and, and seven years. And, and, and in other words, the point of that is it seems like nothing's ever going to change. It's going to be this way forever. 
you know, the first year after the Midianites had come and stripped them of their goods, they might have thought, well, you know, things will get better. Everybody has rough years, you know. And maybe after the second year, the people are getting discouraged and someone comes along and says, well, well, you know, it's going to, it's going to get better. God's going to deliver us. But boy, I mean, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years. I mean, now the people are at the point of, well, I guess this is the way it's going to be from now on. And so it's an unexpected time. And, and, and you know, God has a way of doing that. Just when we think all is lost, God has a way of stepping in and changing things. And then it came with a startling announcement uh, where in, in, in verse number 12 of this chapter, God calls him, calls him a mighty man of valor. You know, it's like, you got to be kidding me. A mighty man of valor, and he's hiding? I mean, what's his record? What has he done? What contribution has he made? And I made mention of the fact that God saw him for what he could be. And I'm so glad that when God looks at you and I, he doesn't just see what we are. He sees what we can become with his help. And so he calls uh, uh, Gideon, a mighty man of valor. And, and then when you go to verse number 13, it, it, it prompted questions from Gideon. Now remember, he is confused and he is frightened, wondering what in the world is going on. So naturally, the natural response is to ask God questions. Well, that brings us to the next thing, and that is it was confirmed by a sign. I wish I had time to really talk more about that. I mean, food was precious in those days, and yet Gideon is willing to offer up whatever he has to the Lord. And the Lord confirmed the call with a sign, and then great fear came upon Gideon. So as he enters into the ministry, it is with fear and trembling. There is no cockiness, there is no pride, there's no more, you know, turn me loose and let me go, I can do this, you know. Uh, other people might have failed, but I'm not going to fail. Uh, it was with fear and trembling that he enters the ministry. Now, that brings us all the way down to verse 25, and that's where we pick up tonight. And the, the title of the message tonight is Gideon's First Assignment. Gideon's first assignment, verse number 25, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal and that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou hast cut down. Now, let's stop there, because here we see that God has called his servant, but before the actual battle begins, there's some things that needed to be done. And, that, and it's always that way. When God calls us to do something, you know, there's a, a, a period of preparation, and it's so very important that we do what we can. I remember when God called me to preach, and, of course, everybody there, being born and raised in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, the, the church where I was saved was a part of the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and, 
And so during that period of time, I'd already become familiar with a lot of the professors there. We had them out to preach and, and so forth. And everybody assumed that I was going to go to Bible college and uh, wondered why I didn't. And uh, I'll never forget my explanation was one day we had a group, there's five or six of them standing around there of young preachers like myself, only they were going to Bible college, and they were debating some issue. And, uh, and this is typical of Bible colleges. You have different professors, uh, you know, teaching actually the same subject, and they've got different points of view. And so one of them had a certain professor, and uh, uh, he was talking about that, and the other was saying, well, my professor, that, that's not what he believes. He believes it was another way. And, and I just kept standing there listening, hoping I could learn something, and uh, begin to realize these guys are more confused than I am, and I haven't even been. And, and I said, "Well, how, how do you how do you how do you know who to believe? I mean, you're going to Bible college, and your professors believe different things. How, how do you know which one you're going to believe?" And they said, "Oh, well, you just have to take the Bible and study it for yourself, and come to the conclusion of which one's right." And I looked at him and I said, "I can do that without going to Bible college." And that's what I did for three years, Bev can tell you. Uh, other, th- other than around New Year's, I didn't watch a football game, baseball game, or anything for three years. I worked a job, did everything I could at church, spent all of the time I could studying. I mean, every night, same routine, uh, just study, study, study. And uh, and I've still got a long way to go. You never get finished with that. But the point I'm making is, that if if God's going to use us, we have to prepare ourselves. And whatever we're doing, if it's playing a musical instrument, you don't come into this world with the ability. Some people seem to, but but really it doesn't work that way. You've got to practice. You've got to prepare. So that's what we see here in this story tonight. It's his first assignment. It's a time of preparation. Now, I want you to notice some things about it, and I don't have any alliteration to use tonight. Uh, you'll just have to you'll just have to use your mind and and and, and remember what I'm saying. Here's the first thing though that jumps out, and that is that, that this is an urgent matter. You know, in reality, serving God is always an urgent matter. But with them, it certainly was. And notice verse number 25, and I want you to pay a special attention to this phrase where it says, And it came to pass the same night. In other words, there's no delay between his call and his first assignment. Now, now naturally, you know, the, the big battle is yet to be fought. Uh, the main purpose of his calling has not yet arrived. But there's, there is a first assignment. There's no time to waste. And he says this first night. So Gideon doesn't go directly into battle. He doesn't march out and say, well, God called me. Here I go. I'm going out. I'm going to confront the enemy. Because there was work to be done before they as a nation were ready to go out and fight the enemy. Some things had to be done. You know, the sad thing is some people recognize the need to prepare, but they spend all of their life preparing. That, that, that's all they ever do. I, I mean, I, I, I've known people that 
surrendered to preaching. They went to Bible college, and then they went off to seminary, and, and then they did this and they did that and, you know, decide, well, I need to get some credit hours in a secular college. And they spend all of their life just preparing. I, I, I'm thinking about a young man that surrendered to preach several years ago. I, I don't think he ever ended up in Bible college. I don't think he got that far. But he was constantly talking about what he was going to do. One week he had decided, well, I think I'm going to be a missionary instead of a pastor. And, you know, and, and the next week he's going to be, you know, an evangelist like Billy Graham or something. And, the, and, and constantly, every time you're around this guy, he, he's going to do something. But he never did anything. You know what? He never did do anything and ended up divorced and he, it made shipwreck of the faith, a mess of his life. And, and uh, he, he never got around to doing what was necessary. So we, we need to prepare, but we've got to eventually get beyond the preparation. And so this is an urgent matter, and it's urgent because it's of great importance. This, this is his first assignment, and first assignments are always important because if we expect God to use us in a greater capacity, we've got to be faithful. We've got to prove ourselves to be faithful to the task at hand. You know, it's real easy to, to say, well, I, you know, I just really want to be used of the Lord, but to entertain the idea, I want to be used of the Lord, but only in the manner of my choosing. I've known people, I mean, by their own admission, literally told me we had a music director one time, and you've heard me say this, he got all bent out of shape because we didn't ordain him as a deacon, and he resigned as song leader. Well, he didn't actually resign. He just quit coming to church. So naturally, when your song leader quits coming to church, you go over there and knock on the door. What in the world is going on? And uh, he, he told me. He said, well, you know, the church, uh, you know, uh, ordained those new deacons. And he said, I've been a Christian all of these years. I've been faithful, da, da, da. You know, I, I felt like I should have been one of those men. And it, it just uh, offended me to the point that I... You know, I, I decided to quit coming. I said, you know what you've just done? You just proved to me that I made the right choice, that you're not qualified to be a deacon, you see. If we're, look, if we're not faithful to do the menial things, whatever it is that God gives us to do, then we're not, we're, we're not qualified to do something more. You'll remember that Paul... When he's laying down the qualifications for a deacon, he said, let these also first be proved. He realized the office of a deacon is too important to be trusted to just anyone, someone that has not first proven themselves. And, 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 and it's important. You, you, that's not something you want to take a chance on. Well, you know, I really like that guy. And I think we'll just make him a deacon. Now, believe me, there are some churches that make a habit of this, especially if a new member, uh, you know, is somebody that's influential in the community and so on and so forth. You know, somebody that, you know, they they know this guy can, you know, he he's a vice president down at the bank. We'll make him a deacon. And don't you ever think churches don't do this? They do it all of the time. And they make that person a deacon and they've never, ever proven themselves to be spiritually 
mature. That's a big mistake. So, so look, this, this is a proving ground uh, for Gideon. God's putting him to the test right off of the bat. And, and as you're going to see in just a little bit, I mean, it is, it's a difficult task that God has given him. I remember many years ago, the very first assistant pastor that I ever had, and so he graduates from college, first first day there, and so he he and I decided we were going to sit down and chat and just what all what all's expected of him. Naturally, you want to give someone some kind of a job description, and. I told him, I said, look, I'm going to ask you to do some things that's going to seem very unspiritual, some things that are beneath your calling, so to speak. God has called you to preach. You've graduated from college, and now you're here, and you're going to be the assistant pastor here in the church. And, you know, okay. And, of course, he had no idea what I was talking about. And so I put him to cleaning the mimograph machine. Didn't have, mem- you know, we didn't have printers back then. An old mimograph machine, clean the mimograph machine, print off, print off the bulletins, fold the bulletins, and everything I could think of. And I was doing it all for a reason, because if he's not willing to do that, I, you know, I, I knew I didn't want him there. What wouldn't be no way I could use him. Well, let me tell you one thing. He passed all of those with flying colors, and you would know who I'm talking about because he's preached a revival meeting for us, has a very successful ministry as a pastor for many, many years now, has proven himself, and God's used him greatly in a lot of different ways. But, But there was that time, that point way back when that I thought to myself, I'm going to make it as hard as I can on this kid, and I'm going to see if he's got the stuff it takes. We Later on, later on, I won't tell you what state I was in with this one. Some of you will guess. I had an assistant, and it made no difference what you told this kid to do. He wouldn't do it. And the worst thing you could do, in fact, would be, you know, uh, to to say, look, this really needs to be done, and you try to be kind and gentle, and uh, and you need to do this, he wouldn't do it. Two or three days go by, nothing done. I, I mean, absolutely nothing. While the one fellow has a successful ministry, this fellow that I'm talking about now is out of the ministry, and and I'll not even I'll not even mention the reports that I've received of the places that he's going to and the things that he's doing. What I'm saying is those jobs that we think that are beneath us are the very things that we need to prove ourselves. And so God is getting Gideon ready for a task, a very important task. And now notice what happens next. This first assignment involved his family. And notice what the Lord told him to do. He said, verse 25, he said, I want you to take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that's by it, and build an altar unto the Lord. I mean, his daddy is a worshiper of Baal. 
And in those days, of course, they used those groves of trees as a place of worship to the heathen god. And God is refusing to deliver them until those sinful shrines are destroyed. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to destroy your father's idols, as it were. Now, you know, it would have been one thing had he said, I want you to invade the camp of the Midianites or some of their allies. That would have been one thing, but these belong to his daddy. This is his first assignment. And i got to tell you, this makes it all of the more difficult. It's one thing to take your stand against a neighbor. It's another thing when you have to stand against a member of your own family. That makes that makes it ten times as difficult. Surely that's what the Lord must have had in mind when He said, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Sometimes the biggest enemy you have is a member of your own family. So Gideon had to begin at home. And by the way, that's usually where we all have to start at home. We've got to start there. If we're not willing to get our house in order, as it were, Joshua, you'll remember, said this, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It has to start at home. And if we don't take a stand for Christ at home, uh, whatever our ministry is, it's not going to last very long. God's not going to be able to use us. And and so he, he tells Gideon, I want you to go out there, tear down your daddy's idols, Well, that brings us to the next point, and that is this takes a lot of courage. Let's look at verse 28. And notice, it says, And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, They said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. And then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die. Because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. Now, you talk about courage. This takes courage. What he did created friction in the family, but not only friction in the family, all of a sudden there's stress in the community, and as a result of that, his life is in jeopardy. These men are not playing games. I mean, they are serious about their religion. Wouldn't it be good if they were that serious about serving God? They don't care about serving God, but they're all caught up in this worship of Baal, and they are out for blood. And as a result of that, they begin to inquire, who who would have done such a thing as this? Well, let me tell you, not very many. Uh, In fact, I think I would be safe in saying there wasn't anybody else in the nation that at this point had the courage to do what Gideon did And yet Gideon knew that if God called me to it, he'll see me through it. He'll enable me to do it. And so this is a real test of his character. But you've got to ask yourself, uh, where do you get that kind of courage? Right? 
How do you get the courage to go against the grain of society? How do you get the courage to do something you know is going to offend your daddy, create friction in the home, jeopardize your life? Where do you get that kind of courage? Well, courage comes from confidence. And I'm talking about confidence in God, faith in God. And that always comes the same way. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I want you to notice here, back to verse 23, this is what God said to him, Fear not, thou shalt not die. Remember, he called him a mighty man of valor. And then, then he says, Fear not, thou shalt not die. And Gideon believed God's promise. And in the believing of God's promise, that gave him the courage he needed to do the work that God called him to do. That's why it's so important that you and I stay in the Word of God, because we might not face Midianites, but all of us face challenges of some sort. We all have enemies, we all have tasks and responsibilities, and there are things that we need to do that we cannot possibly do. And listen, I'm talking about difficult things, things that, that, that's going to make life very uncomfortable. Surely it was with fear and trembling that he entered into that grove and that he tore down that, that altar, erected to Baal, and then started cutting down the trees. I mean, you, you know you're in danger in your life, but yet he has the courage to do it. Some people have this crazy idea, you know, that courage is the absence of fear. It's not that at all, really, because courage is just the strength to go on in the face of fear. And that's what he does because he believes God is going to keep his word. Now... There's something else very important about this because as we look at this story and we think about Gideon and we're already beginning to see how, how going from a coward to a champion, he's well on his way, right? Anybody willing to do this, you've got to give him a pat on the back. I mean, you can see the potential in him now. He is passing the test. He is succeeding. But what happens is, too many times, we tend to give all of the credit to the man that's out front. And the fact of the matter is, he needed the help of others. Look at verse number 27, and you'll notice that Gideon took ten of his servants. Now, remember, the work had to be done at night. It had to be done at night, not necessarily because they were afraid. It had to be done at night because of the opposition of the community. In in other words, if they had done it during the daytime, they're going to spend all of their time fighting rather than working, right? Because they know they're going to encounter opposition. So there's a, a good portion of this work they have to do at night, and there's no way possible that Gideon by himself could do that. I, I always think about what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9 and verse 12. says, two are better than one, and a threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. The fact is, we need one another. We, 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 that, by the, that's what the church is all about. Uh, the Lord knew that we were going to need one another. Life is tough. There's none of us that are strong enough to make it on our own. Bev and I had, had a long talk yesterday uh, 
you know, about, about some things that, uh, uh, well, you know, sometimes people will confide in you about what's going on, and, uh, and, and, and it's good that they do because they need a listening ear and a sympathetic heart, and, and someone will come in and just open up and say, look, you know, I'm going through this and that. And as you've heard me say so many times, every week when we meet, even right here tonight, and you look around, you have absolutely no idea what great burdens some people are carrying, what struggles they're going through. have no idea how they're hurting. You have no idea of the fears and the problems uh, that, that's, that's in their life. And we need to remember that every time we meet together and sometimes just taking the time to, to let people know, you know, I, I, I care. I mean, you don't have to intrude. You don't have to pry into their business or anything like that. But just to know that somebody knows and somebody cares, uh, I, I'll tell you, that'll help people get through some tough places. That's why, you know, we speak of the church being the, the, our spiritual family to where we can be there one for another. And, and that's the way it ought to be. Amen? Your best friends ought to be members of, of your church, uh, people you spend time with, people that you minister to, because you minister to them today and they'll be ministering to you tomorrow. We, we need each other, and he needed the help of these ten men. He couldn't do it alone. A lot of times when churches are successful, you know, the pastor will get the church and you might hear someone say a certain church will be mentioned. And uh, I had a missionary call me yesterday and he was uh, uh, talking, about a, uh, talk, talking about a preacher and wanted to know if I'd seen him lately. A long, long time ago, pastored one of the biggest churches in town. And I said, no, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. We had... Uh, actually fished together a little bit and so forth. And you know, this guy had written several books and things like that and uh, ha- had a successful ministry. But in referring to that church, if I, you know, if I did so, people said, well, that, that's old brother so-and-so's church, you know. And, you know, we, t- we tend to give all of the credit to them. And, and that's not the way it ought to be. Because it, it, take, it takes a team. It takes a church. I mean, there's no preacher. There was a time many years ago, back during the days of J. Frank Norris, for example, there was a time back then that and you go all the way back to Spurgeon. And because of his oratorical abilities, uh, it, it was amazing that because of his abilities, he could preach anywhere, and people would come from miles around just to hear that man preach. We are long since past that. We've been past that for a 100 years now, or close to it. You're not going to build churches like that. It takes a group of people with the same heart, the same mind, working together, because you cannot do it by yourself. And even with the talent of a J. Frank Norris, what a lot of people don't realize is J. Frank Norris got all of the credit, so to speak, but it was Louis Ensminger who built the Sunday school that built the church. And you don't hear anybody talking about Brother Ensminger, you know, 
But he is the man, the brains, and everything, you know, that was behind the scenes and, and, and basically, you know, gets no lasting credit for it. And that's the way it is in any church. I'm saying all that to say this, folks. Look, although I'm the pastor of this church, uh, the future of this church doesn't depend on me. God can do without me. But it does depend on you as a whole. It depends on you. And we each one need to recognize that we are needed in the Lord's work. That's why no member of the church ought to feel like they are inferior to anybody else. You might do something different than others. You might do something that takes you out of the public eye. You know, nobody sees what you do. But what you do enables me to do what I do, enables others to do what they do. And that makes your job just as important as anyone else. Now, now the story doesn't end there, because in verse 30 we see, and we've already mentioned this, and that is it meets with opposition, the men of the city. They said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die. You know, whenever we determine that we're going to serve God, it means that we're going to have to do some things that are unpopular. And uh, that's almost always the case. And if our main concern is winning the approval of other people, we'll never be of any value to the kingdom of God. We might build a large church, but is saying what they want to hear, winning their approval, getting their support. We might gather a large following, but I'm telling you, there's a big difference between having a big church and being a part of God's kingdom. And that big church is not all that important, but God's kingdom is always important. So regardless of what you do, somebody's going to criticize you for it. I, I, I just nearly broke down in tears some time ago whenever, whenever uh, someone shared with me, and I can't go into a lot of detail, but... Someone in the church shared with me how a certain person, for the very first time, uh, they had a special. They, they did something that they had never done before. I don't have any idea who it was or what they said, but somebody said something to that young person. And whenever they walked off of the platform and after the service was over, and told their parents, I'll never, ever do that again. All because of what one person said. It might have been in jest. I don't know. I have no idea. But what I am telling you, if you get serious about serving God, somebody's going to criticize you. Amen? It doesn't make any difference what your job is. Somebody... Bubba back there running the, the sound system. Somebody's going to say, Oh, that's too loud. Turn it down. And then there's going to be some deaf people like me saying, You know, turn it up. I can't hear anything, you know. And we're. Somebody's going to be critical. And, and like old Truman said, If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, I, I've got better advice. Don't get out of the kitchen. Learn to stand the heat. Don't quit. Don't give up just because there's opposition. Remember, Paul said, And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
you know, that kind of takes the glamour out of Christian service, right? It really does. People think, oh, it must be such a glamorous thing to be the pastor of a church and to be looked upon and respected by the community and so on and so forth. And they think about it being something that's really glamorous. Well, uh, that's because you don't know the whole story, if, if that's what you think. Uh, you see, it's, it's not, not a glamorous thing uh, serving God whenever it provokes others to the point that, like in this case, they want to kill you. They want to kill you. We don't serve God because it's popular. We do it because that's our duty. That's our responsibility. And we don't have a right to quit on God because somebody else doesn't like the way we're doing it. Now, there's something else. This is so very important, and, and, and this is my favorite part of this message, actually. Verse 31, notice that this first, this first mission, his first assignment, resulted in the change of his name and his reputation. Verse 31, And Joash said unto all of it stood against him. Now remember, they just... Just call for him, bring him out, we're going to kill him. And his daddy said, and remember, this is the same daddy that worshipped Baal. And Joash said unto all of them that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. If Baal is a god, let him speak up. Let him defend himself. Let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. And therefore, that's so important, that the injection of that word there. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he had thrown down his altar. Wow. Gideon's courageous act made a deep impression on his father. By the way, what kind of impression do you think he would have made on his daddy had he compromised? Let's just suppose that he had gone into his father and said, Dad, I've been praying a lot lately, and God has laid it on my heart that I ought to go out there and tear down your altar to Baal and cut down the grove and what have you. But, Daddy, I love you. I wouldn't ever want to hurt you like that, and uh, I, I just can't bring myself to do it. And out of respect for you, you know, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It might have seemed that he had pleased his father, but compromise never brings admiration. Nobody admires a compromiser. You know, there are a lot of people that I disagree with, but if they've got the guts to stand up for what they believe in, there's something about them that you've just got to admire. And so when the townspeople come there requesting they execute Gideon. His daddy comes to his defense. And by the way, that's not to say that he, at this point, wholeheartedly agrees with his son, but at least he respects him for taking a stand. 
And so his dad, remember that same day, his dad changes his name to Jerubbabel. That means let Baal contend, or it could mean contender with Baal. So now he has a new reputation. And as a result of that new reputation, the fact that he's willing to stand, the fact that he's willing to obey God even if it's unpopular, now he becomes a leader in Israel. And as you're going to see, he becomes the man that they start looking to for direction. Now he has so much influence that he is able to marshal an army of 32,000 men just in this short time. You know, it's so hard. In fact, it's impossible to overestimate the importance of a good reputation. We talked about that this morning, the importance of your testimony. What others think about you? The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.15, Paul said, that, he said that we are to be blameless. That is, that, look, that, that doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means that no indictable charge can be brought against us. We might fail, but it's not for lack of trying. He said, blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, and then notice this, in the midst of a crooked and perverse gener- uh, nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That ties right in with where we left off this morning. Enoch walked with God. Now think about that. In those days before the flood, when every thought of their heart was only evil continually, he walked with God. When nobody else would, he walked with God. And as a result of that, he gained a reputation, a testimony among the people. Is There is a man whose only concern is to please God. And God can always use people like that. First assignments are extremely important. And we need to discover God's will and do it. If we stump our toe, if we fail, if we fall, we need to get up and start over. And we need to let God move us on to the next step. Because the most important job that you will ever do is what you're doing right now. Whatever it is, that's the most important job you'll ever do. What you're doing right now for the Lord because that's the thing that prepares you for the next job. And look, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Whether it's in the ministry, I can remember after I surrendered to preach, just shortly after I was saved, and I told my pastor, anything you want me to do. And, uh, boy, I'm telling you what, he, he took me at my word, and he gave me jobs. Here's the bus ministry one day, and uh, it wasn't long, and you're Sunday school superintendent, and then you're a deacon, and ne- next thing I'm sitting in uh, on uh, on his private counseling meetings when threats were against him as uh, kind of a bodyguard. And uh, he said, this guy's a loose cannon and he's coming in. I'm scared to death. He said, I've got to tell him some things and, uh, and, and I need somebody there in case he jumps on me. And, but, but, but the point is that there were a lot of other things I had to do before, you know, God could really get me ready to where to where he could use me as a pastor. And that's true in everything. 
you know, it's like somebody saying, well, you know, I'd love, I'd love to be a music director, but I'm not going to, I don't like singing in the choir. Well, if you're not willing to sing in the choir and let God use you that way, what makes you think that you'd ever be qualified to be a music director? You see, I mean, whatever it is, you know, we've got several different musicians, and uh, some of them can play several different musical instruments. And it might be, by the way, we've had this very thing happen. I remember Debbie was playing the piano, and uh, when Kathy came into the church, and, and uh, Debbie voluntarily moved from the piano over to this, that Kathy could play that. Look, that's what it's all about. It's not just doing what you like to do. You know, that's not what's important. It's fitting in where you're needed. That's the way a, a team functions. That's what makes a good team. I mentioned this morning the fact in the softball illustration that I'm still ashamed of, and and uh, you know I can remember I can remember as a kid, and you you just wouldn't believe the temper I I had back as a boy, and uh, boy I'm telling you if I didn't get my way I threw a fit, and I went went finally went to high school went down to the to the baseball team, and uh, I guess it was my freshman year, sophomore year. I can't remember now. And uh, and so I, I went down and wanted to pitch. I was determined I, I'm, I'm going to pitch because I've been a pitcher in all the Qantas League ball and all of that. And this is baseball now, not softball. I was a lot better in baseball than I was in softball when it comes to pitching. And he said, look, we've got several seniors and they had a kid named Bob Jenkins that could throw a ball through a brick wall. And he said, he said, uh, I, I really, I can't use you. I want you to play third base. The thing that really aggravated me is there was a neighbor kid who's a left-hander and he, he couldn't break a plate glass window just, I, I mean, and he made, he made pitcher and they kept him as a pitcher. And that so insulted my pride. He said, we want to go down. I can use you at third base. You can be the third base. I, I walked off, never went back. And, uh, and I've regretted all of these years. How stupid can you be? You know, but, but, but that's the mentality of a lot of people. If I can't do this or if I can't be that, then I don't want anything to do with it. Well, you need to grow up. You need to mature and you need to be willing to let God do what He wants to do with you because He doesn't make any mistakes. And if you feel like it's beneath you, then you've got too much pride in your heart. This is Gideon's first assignment. And I don't know about you, but I've got to say, based on the fact that his daddy changed his name and he developed this new reputation and becomes a leader. He passed with flying colors. Amen? And, 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 and that ought to be true of every one of us. Whatever God gives you to do, do it with all of your might. Do the very best you can with what you've got while you can. And if God wants you to do something else, He'll open the door. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being used in your service, whether it's driving an old rickety school bus or whether it's uh, watching little children in the nursery, uh, whether it's being the pastor of the church, whether it's uh, making the bulletin and doing secretarial work, 
teaching the Sunday school class, whatever it is, help us all to realize tonight that what we are doing is of great importance. And not only that, but whatever it is that you've called us to do, that we have to give an account for how we do it. And so I pray tonight that you'll help each and every one of us be the kind of servant that you would be pleased with, that someday when we stand before you, that we could hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.